Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and your host of Give Me Strength. What makes a strong person to you? Could it be the kilograms in your deadlift, the miles you're able to run, or is it as simple as saying how you feel, an inner feeling of strength that's there regardless of your fitness abilities? Each week, I'll be looking into this concept, asking extraordinary women about their ever-evolving relationship with exercise and how their experiences have shaped who they are today. Together, we'll discuss the positives of living a stronger life, both physically and mentally, in the hope that we can inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. A few weeks ago, I was invited to an evening with BBC Sport where we heard about the launch of their new initiative called Change the Game, something I'm sure many of you have already seen on TV. Among the women on the panel was Gabby Logan, who spoke with such passion and conviction about her ambition for more coverage for women's sport that I knew I had to try and speak to her. Gabby Logan is a household name, a former international gymnast. Gabby began her broadcasting career in radio in 1992 and joined Sky Sports in 1996. She quickly rose up the ranks and joined the BBC in 2007, where she's now presented huge shows such as the Olympics, the World Cup, BBC Sports Personality of the Year, the London Marathon and the Invictus Games. In addition to her presenting duties, Gabby is a prolific writer with previous columns in The Times and has written for The Independent, The Guardian, Glamour and Stylist magazine. She also works closely as a patron with a number of charities, including the Disabilities Trust, the Prince's Trust and Great Ormond Street, and is also Vice President of Sparks Charity. Gabby, welcome to Give Me Strength. Thank you. That was such a lovely introduction. <laughs> <laughs> I was so inspired when I came to watch you at the uh, Change the Game that I yeah, I was like, I, I have to try and speak to her. <laughs> so I'm so happy that you agreed. I know this is a huge summer of sport for women and we're so lucky to have you here. I know you're flying off to France very soon. Are you excited for all that is to come? Yeah, I, it, it's the point now where I'm, I'm a, a few days away from packing my bag. This morning I spent doing my, sh- I've got a schedule of travel, I've got a schedule of events, and then I started putting in things like the outfits that I need to take with me and all that kind of logistics stuff. So I'm at the kind of um, slightly nervy bit where you're doing research, but you're also mm-hmm. doing logistics and getting ready. And then once we start in France, it, that is really the beginning of this summer of sport in mm-hmm. many ways, because we've got the Women's World Cup, which mm-hmm. goes na- naturally and nicely into the Netball yes. World Cup. And then mm-hmm. there's cricket it through the summer as well the world athletics championships which comes later in the summer with athletics dotted all the way through um that they were the kind of main sports that mm. we were focusing on that day so mm-hmm. yeah i am very excited i just need to kind of uh, get my head around the the work aspect of it yeah i think the bigger picture is this potential this huge opportunity for women's sport to be front and center mm. of our sporting coverage you know so it's it's holding the back page yeah. and it's it's the story that people are going to be talking about the water cooler moments absolutely and i think we're going to come on to that later but i do want to take you back to start with because you've done a lot in your career so you were born in leeds where i know that your dad was a professional footballer and then went, later went on to become a manager as well so was sport always a huge part of your life yeah it was you know we grew up with a dad who earned a living from sports Mm. so 
first and foremost, every day, you know, sport was was around. And then we had three of us were born quite quickly. So three, two, one. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we were quite close siblings in age, but also in interests. And Mm -hmm. because we were all doing different activities and sports, Mm -hmm. then I guess the whole household was Mm. dominated by either our sporting activities or my dad's sporting activities mm. and my mum bless her she did try and uh, expand our CV so that we had some interest in music or other things and we all did a bit of drama and we all did but it was sport was at the central kind mm. of core of everything that everybody did so and I think when you're a parent earns money you know earns a living from sport Um, you see the highs the lows the sadness the dark times Mm. the elation you know the joy of of victory but also the disappointment of defeat and Mm. growing up I very quickly got a sense of that and the Mm. pressure that comes as well from Mm. sport Was there any particular ones that grabbed you early on sport wise? Oh I Mm. absolutely wanted to be a tennis player that was my first love Yeah Um, I mean I was doing all kinds of different sports until we moved to Canada when I was eight and we lived in Vancouver for a year and a half Mm -hmm. and um, you could play any sport for about 25 cents you know it was we had these things called recreation centers you could mm. go in you could try curling you could try gymnastics you could try trampolining you could do and we did we tried mm. them all but that's where I started to play tennis because it was very accessible and very easy compared mm. to England in the late 80s and I absolutely I that was it I was going to be a tennis player amazing <laughs> only I wasn't <laughs> no you weren't but eventually you went on to compete in rhythmic gymnastics can you talk me through that kind of pathway into that which is a really grueling physically yeah, demanding not particularly um, and not a sport that you're going to find in every city in the country no. so the two factors one there were no indoor tennis courts in Leeds we moved back to Leeds in the winter time uh-huh. and I was de- still desperate to be a tennis player I'd done loads of gym in Vancouver but not rhythmic gymnastics mm. and my sister wanted to do gymnastics so she found the club I was busy scouring the yellow pages looking for tennis courts and there literally was no indoor court so my mum was said look just go along to gym with um, your sister Louise who's 11 mm. months younger than me and we'll find somewhere in the summer when the, when the park courts open again I mean this is you know things have really changed in the yeah. world of tennis so I was desperately disappointed because I was really really into it but then very quickly I got into the rhythmic gymnastics and never really went mm. back searching for that tennis career that mm. I thought was destined to be mine and also we had the national coach as our coach she was uh, yeah. happened to be the coach of the club mm. so I think those two factors were fatalistic in a way because when you've got somebody with such incredible knowledge and resources mm. being you know the coach of your club you very quickly understand the pathways to success and you know her training methods and everything else she was very mm. very serious so it was quite serious quite early on. She entered us into competitions quite quickly and we got into the competitiveness of the side mm. of the sport, not just doing it for fun. Well, it was fun, but there was a purpose. Yeah, and I, that's what I was going to ask you next was, what was it that fulfilled you enough to, to kind of drive you to go on to compete professionally? Was it the fact that you had an amazing coach? Or was it almost like a combination of, you know, you were deep down pretty competitive anyway? You know, you said you had a very sporty background. Yeah, I think the family situation meant mm. that we were quite competitive kids. You know, my dad used to take us out after dinner so my mum could clear up after dinner. The deal was he'd take us out and do races in the garden or mm. we'd play rounders or we'd play tennis or, you know, anything that was quite competitive. Mm. And my dad got seemed to get quite a kick out of, you know, us arguing and bickering with each other and laughing <laughs> at us. And so then um, there was that part of it. But also mm. I liked the idea of training for something not just you know because I was getting to an age where it was nice to have a something that was a bit different as well mm. you know this was my thing you couldn't do it at school it was something I did outside of school and also my sister was doing it and I think as a parent having two children doing the same sport must have been a blessed relief for my yeah. mom. you know it was one less taxi journey how old were you when you started taking it quite seriously probably about 10 or 11 around that age mm. and by 12 13 I was training with national squad and did my first junior international I think I was 13 and a half Amazing. You went on to be pretty successful. I think you came eighth in the Commonwealth, was it? Yeah, that was, I mean, it wasn't, that wasn't my most kind of, I wouldn't say that was my best achievement, but it was, it was a Commonwealth Games, you mm. know, with, with regret, I didn't make an Olympic Games, which was, would have been two years later because I got injured and I yeah. decided to call it a day. Mm. But yeah, I was, I was kind of regularly silver medalist in national mm. competitions. And one of my best friends who I'm godmother to her, daughter was the national champion who was always going to beat me so I was never going to be better than her but it's it's it was a a brilliant uh, for me that nothing no time was ever wasted doing gymnastics because mm. even though my dad couldn't understand why I was spending so much time doing a sport that was never going to earn me a living I even then I think understood the power of sport and the power of going through yeah. as a teenager 
understanding your body, feeling confident about your body. Mm. I loved the fact that, you know, I, I had this thing that was mine outside of school. It mm. gave me such confidence and it helped my self-esteem. Mm. But also now I, the organisational skills that you get from having to juggle doing GCSEs and A-levels while you're competing at a high level, mm. all those things are the reasons why I encourage my kids to do sport. Not because mm. I think they're going to earn a living doing sport, yeah. but because I can see how good it, it is for you and in so many different areas. Absolutely. And that's something I can relate to is I trained as a professional dancer and you're so right in terms of the discipline that it gives you. And actually, I read something that you had spoken about where you um, dealt with some body Im- image issues during your time in gymnastics. And I think it's a really interesting one where... I had the same and I'm grateful for a lot of what dancing gave me. But also on the flip side, I think there's so much that we can do to flip the motivation for particularly young girls to get into sport and Mm. and the the values that it teaches. I watched an amazing journalist, Anna Kessel, post a video of a coach in America and she was talking about the value of sport for young girls Mm. and that why aren't we getting Mm. more women into sport because it teaches so much more than just a physical skill. And I Mm. think you're absolutely right in that from a young age if you can just get involved in something the sense of community mm. that all of the things that it and brings the hormonal, to you you know we know as adults how good we feel when we exercise yeah. that hormonal boost that we get mm. and it's just the same you know as a, as a kid you can see I can see it with my own kids the mood change sometimes my daughter she does athletics and on a Monday when she's had a long day at school mm. and it's her first athletic session of the week she'll oh yeah I've got, I've got loads of homework mum and I'll be like it's an hour and a half Mm. get your homework done I'll drive you there you know mm. and, and not that I'm pushing her to do it for any other reason than I know she bounces out at half mm. past eight whether it's minus five or whether it's 25 degrees just full of joy you know and oh I had a great session it was brilliant we did this tonight I did some long jump or and it's not about what she's achieved the distances the times and it's it's just that feeling of hanging out with a group of like-minded people and feeling good about yourself you mm. know coming home and feeling like you've done something that's made you feel great absolutely I read that you then went on to study law at university. So that's quite like a change in pathway in terms of... Yeah, I did toy with. I wanted... I remember sitting down with my A-level. Um, we had a career guidance woman yeah. and she had a kind of list of jobs. I mean, it was about eight jobs on it probably that, you know, she'd try and fit you into a, you know, <laughs> the uh, the hole. And she said, I said, I, th- I want to be a sports psychologist. And she she was like looking down her list as if to say, well, it's not down here. And I'd had a sports... I used a sports psychologist through National Squad. Yeah. And I thought it was a really interesting area that, I you know, was probably quite um, good at seeing the future I, I thought this is going to only grow this area mm. you know understanding the mind and how powerful it is with sport and this was back in the late 80s you know and she just looked at me and said that's not a job <laughs> and so she said you could do psychology at university and then see where you go but that's not a job and so I was put off doing that and so I thought I'll do a degree that is you know quite strong academically but not necessarily you know don't have to be a lawyer but it's quite a good degree to do because nobody in my family had been to university so I wanted to do something that had a bit of weight and Mm. sounded quite you know sounded quite meaty Mm. so yeah I was very lucky and went to Durham University and did law but the whole time I was there I got a job on the local radio station because that was my actual passion. I wanted mm. to work in broadcasting. Mm. And I'd met a guy who ran the radio station in Newcastle. I'd been on Blue Peter when I was a gymnast. So I'd kind of experienced live TV and thought, mm. this was very exciting. This is something I'd really like to do. But how do I get there? You know, mm. my, my dad's a footballer. My mum trained as a beauty therapist. She was in property. I didn't know anybody who mm. was kind of, you know, working in television. I lived in Leeds, you know, and obviously we had TV stations, but I didn't know anybody. So, yeah, I started doing what you have to do and hustling and ringing up people and writing letters and asking people to give me a chance. Mm. I I didn't know that. I I thought that you'd gone away to university and then you'd gone on and almost like used your law degree as a way to leverage your, your career in broadcasting. So the fact that you were hustling whilst yeah. doing me is actually really inspiring. Well, I was doing weekend shifts on the radio, which it meant I had to be up at four on a Saturday and four on a Sunday because my oh shift my was goodness. six till 12. So all my, in fact, funny enough, I bumped into people I went to university with just recently. I was hosting an award ceremony and this guy got the award and he said, oh, my sister was on the same corridor as you at Durham. And she always talks about how you used to get up and creep off early in the morning and <laughs> do the radio. And and it was it meant I had quite a sober time as a student. I wasn't really yeah. into drinking anyway then, mm. <laughs> and I was just very I was a very sober student because I was working and and I was also able to kind of pay my way as well because yeah. I was earning fairly decent um, weekend salary and not blowing it all on alcohol, but still joining in with lots of other things at university mm. life. So it was um it was a good grounding. It was I describe it as they don't have them anymore, but you know they used to have this thing called youth training scheme or um, apprenticeships, those mm. kind of things. It was like doing that alongside my degree 
you know. Mm. I didn't really know many people who had jobs full stop when I was at university. I think I was quite uh, quite driven at that point in my life because my brother had died the summer before mm. I went to university and I think I was just very driven mm. and very motivated to try and seize every moment and mm. grasp every opportunity. I wanted to talk to you about that. While you were growing up, you obviously suffered a catastrophic loss of your brother and... A number of things that I read about you, you had an injury where you had to give up your sport, you then suffered the loss of your brother. How did you find that affecting you and how did you, you find yourself coping with it? Was it that that turned you to sport or obviously then you didn't have your sport? Mm. So Exactly. It was, it was almost the worst time mm. because I'd already had about a year at this point without gymnastics mm. before he, he died in 92. And I had been trying loads of other sports. I'd, I'd started to go out with an athlete. So I started running thinking maybe I could be a runner because I was desperately, I mean, I can't describe how much I missed competing and how much yeah. I missed training. Mm. I just thought that's it. I've had my biggest kick in life. And if I live to be 90, nothing will ever give me the same buzz and mm. high as competing. Mm. So I've got to find something else to compete with. So I do cross country at school and I'd finish halfway down the field. You know what I mean? I was like, there was, uh, there was no talent there. Mm. <laughs> it was just, I was just running basically. Yeah, there was nothing there. And then I remember going to the local swimming bar and timing myself seeing if I could if I was anywhere close to kind of like national level for swimming I was so if, I think if I'd been born in Australia I'd have probably been talent ID'd to get on a bike because I'm actually quite good mm. uh, I'm quite good cyclist and I've got quite good glutes and thighs mm. and um, I think they probably would have said oh hang on her physique she should be doing this but in the UK then we didn't do ta- oh they might have put me in a boat I might have rode but they didn't talent ID then they just mm. let you go you retired you've had all this training all this amazing training but mm. we're just going to let you go so anyway I was pretty I was pretty down about not doing gymnastics and then a year later my brother died he died at the end of my gap year and I was about to go off to university and it was absolutely without warning he had um, something called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy Mm. which is sometimes known as sudden death or Mm. sudden death syndrome especially in young people and so obviously I I didn't have sports focus on and I was about to go off to university and mm. I think my first year I look back now and I I was pretty low you know yeah. I don't think I don't think I was handling it brilliantly because of course my parents were having a dreadful time as yeah. well you know my sister lived in the States she'd gone out to be in Cirque du Soleil in America so she'd gone and so my other brother was very young so mm. I didn't have a lot of people to you know I was talking mm. to my mum a lot but listening to her mainly because she mm. was obviously just in a pit of sadness and mm. despair and, and I think I didn't sleep well I remember going to the doctors and he gave me sleeping tablets and I actually was had the presence of mind to not use them because I think I was probably I got back to my room at university and I thought this is not the way forwards mm. you know and to start to take sleeping tablets at 19 years old there's something else mm. wrong you know mm. and luckily I had a lovely boyfriend by the end of my first year who was quite a sensible kind of person. You know, he had quite a kind of pragmatic view of things and he was very good at talking about things. But it wasn't until I left university that I really started to speak to somebody professionally and got help and kind yeah. of, you know, counselling and had acupuncture. And yeah. which she was an acupuncturist ostensibly, but she talked a lot. So it was like a talking therapy as mm. well. And I think that came just in time almost, mm. you know, because I think I was just not. Well, definitely with grief, it. yeah, you you almost shut down, and your brain doesn't doesn't want you to to bring up those emotions. It's almost our coping mechanism is that we kind of, I mean, things that have happened to me, you you kind of you put a complete blank on it, and actually, like it is only maybe a few years later that that the, the pieces start yeah, to peel feel, away. Especially as a student, you've got mm. all these new experiences going on, working mm. on the radio, and making myself as busy as possible. I helped take a play to Edinburgh. I was mm. sponsorship secretary of the Union Society. I played netball. I did, you know, literally. I can yeah, at university. You can feel every minute of every day. Yeah, which is great when you're trying to hide from yourself. Almost, you know mm. what I mean. You're not wanting to address yeah. things. And I could have fun. I don't get me wrong. I could go out and I could have a laugh. And I was, I was happy. But then I think well, there were moments where I just realised that I hadn't really worked mm. this out and mm. I was struggling with putting things into perspective and probably that process of just going at it too much you know mm. <laughs> trying to seize the d- every day in the way that I was was gonna I was either gonna burn out mm. or I was gonna hit a wall at some point yeah and did you feel like you sort of hit that wall or did you feel like that came at just the right time to stop I think it came at you? just the right time. I mean, mm. I, was, I, was on a, I was on a slippery soap kind of at that point. I'd split up with previously said boyfriend and, yeah. and I just seemed to be choosing to hang out with people that weren't right. You mm. know, I went through that classic year of bad boyfriends mm. and people that weren't weren't giving me anything no. No, weren't nourishing my life <laughs> they were draining my life mm. and I think, you know, it's, it's a rite of passage, isn't it? Luckily, I didn't let it go on 
much beyond a year because yeah. <laughs> um, I think it would have been quite damaging in the long yeah, run. Yeah, and obviously you had a career that was just taking off. There was that as well, yeah. And speaking of that, when you started getting into broadcasting, did you find it difficult to picture where you'd fit in because you had at the time quite limited visibility of females working in high profile roles within broadcasting you know especially within sport mm. did you see that as as quite a difficult thing you know you didn't really have many people to look up to or if so who was it that you were like oh that's whose career I want to emulate I first of all I didn't think being a sports broadcaster was even a job that I could do because I just didn't see that yeah. possibility so when I worked on local radio my boyfriend, blessing me, said, you're doing a law degree, you're so clever, you shouldn't be doing um, frivolous you know, morning radio shows, you should be Jeremy Paxman. And then there was a little me go- bit of me going, but I want to be on Live and Kicking like Zoe Ball. Mm. You know? so, so it was kind of like the fun, fun me and then the more serious me. And I was mm. kind of not knowing where I was going to go at the end of that first full year. Mm. And so actually it was a real kind of sliding doors moment when Sky had seen me on the pitch at Newcastle United because I used to do a Saturday job of course mm. I did um, which was doing um, touchline interviews because I loved sport and the sports team at the radio station said all you do is talk about sport come down on Saturday and do touchline interviews and that's your team isn't it Newcastle yeah Newcastle United. yeah so this was like I was getting paid to stand on the pitch of the team that I love and interview the players that I really Amazing. you know admired and then Sky said come and have a screen test because they wanted to get more women front of camera uh-huh. so had I not taken that job you know mm. and given up my Saturdays I wouldn't have thought about it at all and even when they said it I thought oh well at least if I go down to London and work Sky Mm. I'm in London and Mm. then I can go and get a proper broadcasting career Mm. because I still didn't think how was what was I actually going to do in sports broadcasting so there was a movement there was a wave there was a period of time I guess and it was the late 90s where Sky was now six or seven years old and was growing and football was changing in many ways you know to Mm. people's perceptions because of Sky Mm. and so I think there was an opportunity which I didn't realise I was able to take hold of at that time. Yeah. You know, I was just kind of there in it. And so in terms of my icons, you know, whether it was Paxman Ball, mm. Des Lynham, kind of mm. people like that, they, they weren't necessarily... Claire Balding didn't exist, you know. No. Yeah. <laughs> Sue Barker had only just started doing a bit of Wimbledon, but she was a tennis player. So, yeah. you know, Helen Rollison had worked on BBC Sport, mm. uh, who sadly died mm. um, of cancer, but she wasn't doing much more than grandstand. But even that, I thought that was a cool, you know, cool mm. thing to be able to present. But I wasn't completely convinced it was an actual career. <laughs> and in terms of getting to where you are now, what would you say are some of the challenges and the barriers that you did face trying to break through initially as a female presenter? I think it was a really interesting time, as, as I just said, in terms of the way football was changing. And I was there was a whole this whole ladette movement that was going on. And I was kind of determined that I wasn't really part of I'm not, you know, even though I was doing a male sport and people mm. might perceive that you're laddie and you go out. I knew I wasn't that person. I thought I had to stay true to myself. Mm. So I didn't want to be something that I wasn't so I was kind of fighting that slightly you know because there was this idea that if you were going to be a girl doing sport you had to behave like the boys Mm. and I didn't really want to do that I was proud of being somebody who'd competed at a high level in sport as well and I felt like that was an important part of me and so I was more into the sports side of sport do you know what I mean actually doing it yeah but that's really interesting because that's not what I thought you were going to say but I think that's really interesting that you, I guess it's trying to re- retain your femininity as a as a woman, but also yeah. be taken seriously yeah, be, as a sports presenter. Yeah, not to morph into... Yeah. Uh, it's funny, I was watching a documentary last night about Margaret Thatcher, and what, what was clear about her was that because she was surrounded by all these males, men all the time, it was almost like she deliberately stopped her femininity coming through because she wanted to be taken seriously by them. Mm. And I'm not, you know, not for one second comparing myself <laughs> to Margaret Thatcher. But I think when women are put in environments where there are more men, yeah. you know, the, the temptation to just behave like those men, mm. it doesn't happen so much now because so many careers are more open and expansive. Mm. But I imagine in early science, in early politics, it must have been very hard to retain the central feminine core of you if, if everybody around you was very male or very male um, environments but there are the obvious things like it's not a secret that 20 years ago in any office whether it's in law whether yeah. it's in building whether it's in um, broadcasting you know the things that men said to women the things that were suggested all those things thankfully don't happen anymore mm. pretty much you know there's, there's, that we are yeah they're not acceptable I do have to say occasionally to people it is 2019 you know mm. but um, but back then I wouldn't have had the confidence to say that to somebody and I found myself kind of trying to laugh things off but knowing that that's not right you don't say mm. that it would be interesting to hear about 
you know, your kind of coping mechanisms in that environment, like if those things were happening, what were the things that you did to kind of bulletproof yourself against allowing them to impact your confidence in a t- at a time when you really were rising up the ranks and you were getting uh, recognition for your, I think your work? The thing that I, I, it took me a few years to work this out, but I realised that I just had to work harder, be more researched and, be, and just make sure that whatever I did on air was absolutely as equal, if not better, to my male counterparts, mm. you know. And so at first, perhaps I, I didn't quite take that seriously enough, you know, the idea that I wanted to be good on air, but, you know, I was I was kind of just doing what they did. And then afterwards, I realised I had to do a bit more and I started working harder, if you like, mm. and made it my passion that I would be the best I could be. And I started to raise my game and try and look for goals, not, not kind of goals in the sense of if I'm not doing this by next year, but work out where I wanted to be and the kind of things I wanted to do and not yeah. take no for an answer. You know, I had a, a an early boss who kept telling me that I wasn't going to present live sport, you know. And so if I'd listened to him, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have done. But I was kind of in my mindset. That yeah. was an important, that was an important landmark for me. I think it's the thing with, call it imposter syndrome or whatever, for me anyway, it can send you two ways. I think amazingly for you, it's it was kind of the motivation to be like, I'm just going to be better but I think for me sometimes it can it can send me the other way and you just you almost want to like hide and I really have to coax myself every single day to remind myself that I am good enough to Mm -hmm. be able to to do what I do because I still find it even in my industry that I work in it's still heavily dominated by men Mm -hmm. and I can feel completely inferior sometimes and I allow it to get to me sometimes and I think actually what you said is really true in that if you just work on your own skill set and you make yourself mm. the best that you can possibly be. It doesn't really matter what I'd anyone say else is doing. For men and women yeah. in any you know area of life, and mm. and the thing I constantly say to my kids is, stop worrying. Like my daughter show jumps, and she'll start getting fixated on somebody else and their horse, mm-hmm. you know. And this horse is better. Like, like mm. you can't do anything about those people. All you can do is work on you and work on your skills and mm. what you're doing, mm. and stop worrying. And it is it's a rite of passage, isn't it? We all kind of have that thing of worrying about yeah, what somebody else thinks. But one of the greatest truths. I think of all time is that I cannot have any opinion about what everybody else's opinion is of mm. me it's I have to just you know have mm. a few people that I really trust and you know I have to mm. take their counsel but if we started to listen to everybody's opinion of us we'd go insane yeah you know because mm-hmm. we'd never have a balanced opinion of anything we do and mm. it's, it takes time doesn't it of to course. get to that position where you go no I remember a, co- a colleague of mine I think it was like Euro 2012 somebody had said something not very nice about me on social media and he'd never been somebody that was gushing or paid me loads of compliments about my work or anything mm. and he just looked at me and he said so you're going to listen some guy who's probably got a pot noodle his curtain closed at two in the afternoon and his trousers around his ankles and you're going to listen to him are you and what he thinks of you and once he gave me that image I just yeah. thought he said don't be so ridiculous and he was it just he was completely bemused by the mm. fact that I'd given any time to somebody who I didn't know had no idea what their what their critiquing skills of broadcasting were mm. <laughs> you know? it's so true yeah We'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. It's so true, but I've definitely been in that position where I've given energy to it. Yeah, absolutely. And actually what you said, the advice you just gave about focusing on yourself is exactly the same as what Jess Ennis said. So I think there's something in that kind of sports she was amazing I mean she's one of my all-time favorite athletes I've Me kind of gone tingly when you just said that, and I now get to sit next to her yeah and work with her and you know and she's just a delight to work with as well but she was just a joy to watch compete I remember that world championships after she'd had Reggie mm. she walked into that arena the bird's nest and all the other athletes kind of they were, they'd had great years they'd all been doing really good and suddenly their performances went down by about five or ten percent mm. because here she was the queen was back and mm. I'm literally tingling now thinking no, about it I'm and it's same. not because she stands there saying I'm the best she just had this aura about her that said I'm focusing on me yeah. I'm getting on with the job and then there'll be a human moment where um, Katarina Johnson-Thompson was having a nightmare yeah. and I don't remember it's the, the long mm. jump and mm-hmm. she went and put her arm around her and you think she, she's, she's present enough to kind of observe those emotions mm. going on but just has this brilliant way of 
making herself absolutely, you know, in that zone, which mm. is the, the zone that every athlete wants to be in, every mm. sports person wants to be in. So, um, yeah, I, I think she's she's the personification, of isn't course, she, of that? Of course, of course. And when she, when she gave that response, I was like, of course that's what you do. Like, yeah. it just seems obvious when someone yeah. says it, but at the time... Oh, it's so easy to it get. It can I mean, be really difficult. When I was difficult. a gymnast, I would be worrying about other people's routines, you know. Mm. Oh, I hear that. So, I mean, this is pre-social media. God, now yeah. it must be a nightmare <laughs> because everybody can see what everybody's doing. Yeah. I'd be like, oh, I've heard that so-and-so, so-and-so does. In London has perfected this move, and you know she's going to try it out the nationals. And yeah. So you'd have this, you know, cacophony of noise of everybody mm. ch- chitter chattering. I mean, it is kind of how we became humans. We like a bit of kind of gossip, you know. And yeah, that's but it was also, it was always very just in your neighbourhood or yeah. like keeping up with the Joneses kind of thing. I can understand that, but now it's on such a grand scale that it does feel overwhelming at times. Well, I, I understand why a lot of sports teams, and I don't know if the Lionesses are going to do this. They've been a bit vague, but I know the men's football team last year. Mm. They may have looked at social media, but they didn't put anything on social mm. media for the yeah. time that they were. The World Cup, and I, I would say to young athletes, that's really good advice because mm. if you're not partaking, you know it can't affect you. And then afterwards, go back and indulge if you want to go back and be a masochist and see what everybody said about you. Mm. <laughs> go ahead. But, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I absolutely agree. And we touched on athletics then, talking about Jess and. With something like athletics, you are broadcasting both men and women competing. So having a female presenter is actually not uncommon. However, you presented Match of the Day and it's one of those shows where it's pretty much been dominated by men for the majority of the time that's mm. ever been on air. Did this role come with particular challenges? Yes, definitely, because it's iconic. Mm. It's an iconic piece of television. You know, it's over 50 years old now. It's had the same music, slightly tarted up occasionally, but <laughs> it's had the same essential notes in that music I know the it whole well. time. Yeah, and, it's, and it just says... Saturday evening, it says people sitting down to take in, you know, the day's top league football, mm. whether it was League One or Premier League. And and so I'd grown up with Match of the Day to sit in those studios, those iconic studios mm-hmm. behind a desk that Des Lynham had sat in, you know, and, and Gary was at that point the, the main presenter, but he mm. was off, obviously, because I was doing it. And that was just a real, mm. wow, this is incredible. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in this this hot seat. Now, I, you know, it's obviously I've done it many yeah. times and and I loved it. I still though get a tingle when you know you sit there and you hear the music and you get going because you kind of know who's at home because I was at home you know and I am mm. at home when I'm not working on it so you know who the audience are and it still has such an incredible audience considering this day and age of you know amazing f- fractured viewing of all sorts you know mm. that goes on and the, so many different ways to watch football all week long and still it's you know three to four million consistently mm. on a Saturday night I look at someone like Alex Scott who I completely admire and I really really love and she's come out recently and spoken about her sexist abuse that she continues to receive on social media particularly and it saddens me and we've spoken about this that, that in this day and age we're still hearing about this mm. and it's still a thing mm. I'm interested to know from you and from your perspective what needs to be done to improve the experiences of female presenters within sport and if you've ever ever experienced similar stuff mm, I'm definitely I've you know had over the years people say unkind things I think I've kind of weeded out people you know I've mm. blocked and I've also I would not retweet or repost every single comment but sometimes I feel it deserves to be you know aired because especially when I look at somebody's bio and they've got a wife and a sister and Mm. I think really Mm. you've got women in your life and you you're saying this you Mm. know and so I think it's worth you know like one of my friends who's a football agent she'll always if somebody says something to her she'll say does your female boss know that you feel this way about women you know and I think you know if you're on social media and you're putting yourself out there then you deserve to be called out if you're saying those kinds of things Mm. however with Alex this year I think I didn't realize that this was happening until she spoke about it quite recently Mm. I think there's two things one she's to some people she's new and people who are new whatever they do like she's not new she's got 130 caps for England is it and she's, she's, yeah, no, I know. so she's, she's not amazing. new but to the viewer yeah. especially the male viewer it was really last summer's World Cup that she came into prominence and I think people sometimes they don't they're like new things oh I was just I, hang on a minute there's a woman who's actually sitting on the set now not just sitting in the presenter's chair they're idiots obviously mm. and I think there's there's probably an element of that where they think that they're right to express which it is absolutely not you mm. know and so I was I was surprised that there was a level of it, but having experienced it myself, sadly, I wasn't totally surprised because mm. there are people out there. We know mm. there are who mm. they seem to have missed the last sixty years. You know, <laughs> and they seem. I think it's difficult with football, though, and I think it's one of those. It's like such a 
difficult sport for the women to still get the recognition they deserve and I think that's why I look at things like change the game and I think brilliant like mm. this is great and like so needed but I still think it's one of those sports where we have a long way to go yeah and I'm thinking you know we've got Dion Dublin working as a pundit in the World Cup this mm. summer and then Alex worked on the World Cup last year so I like the idea that men talk about women's football and that women talk about men's Absolutely. football and that's the only way that you are going to in, in any shape or form reach a situation like Wimbledon where you're quite happy for Martina Flover to talk about Novak Djokovic mm-hmm. why shouldn't she mm. as much as she talks uh, about Serena Williams mm. you know uh, and same equally, with swimming same yeah, with athletics exactly. oh, there are so many I mean yeah. so many sports where they have that kind of level of parity mm. if you like mm. um, and it does help sports like athletics and, and tennis happen on the same courts on the same yeah week and the same you know that I think is is a real leveller and Mm -hmm. what people will see this summer are massively significant matches with massive talent on the pitch really entertaining they won't all be entertaining and guess what they weren't all entertaining in Russia last year (laughs) some of them will be more attritional and some of them will be high scoring and some Mm. of them will have mistakes Mm. but we also had that in Russia last year you know Mm. Um, but there are always people who are going to try and find something to you know to attack and say Mm. it's not as good because I do get people when I do the women's football sometimes tweet me going yeah but it's just not as good just accept it like oh I just God. I don't know it's just like what? I'm not even gonna give you a reply doesn't even need You're energy ridiculous yeah. move on are there any particular career moments that stick in your mind both good or bad that you feel have shaped your path to where you are now I think obviously that period that we talked about with my my brother dying which mm. was a bad moment clearly mm. and that whole period of my life while it was not a very nice thing to go through I think I did get a certain amount of resilience and mm-hmm. a certain amount of experience, life experience, mm. which I think I've used, tried to use positively and harnessed in ways that I wouldn't want to go through that, mm. to have to get that experience. Mm. But I didn't I didn't want it to go to waste either. I didn't want that, you know, enlightened and kind of almost the wisdom that I gained through having a massive family bereavement and yeah. seeing a family, my family split apart. You know, mm. my parents ended up divorcing. So that whole experience, I, th- I hope, has furnished me as a parent, has furnished me as a, as a wife and as a, a human being generally, mm, you know, yeah, in of terms course. of appreciating things mm. and just trying to kind of live in the moment and mm. not get too ahead, you know. Mm. Um, so obviously that was a negative. And then I guess the positive kind of moments through my career, things that the time I left ITV to go to BBC was actually sad because I was kind of... I was out of favour, if you like, ITV. And BBC gave me an opportunity. And I was kind of sad to be leaving ITV. But the possibility of working for the BBC was just amazing. And to work Mm. for the BBC in 2007, a year before the Olympics in Mm. 2008, knowing the 2012 Olympics was coming, Mm. you know, that was such a an exciting period of my career and my life and you know mm. I'd just become a mum a couple of years before that and so I had these young children but also lots of exciting stuff going on so mm. that that was a great time and leading up to London you know 2012 was just an absolute joy I think if I hadn't been working with BBC and that was on as a sports broadcaster I would have been devastated mm. yeah <laughs> I, you know as it worked out you know because I it was a five-year journey mm. kind of from starting there but I just had the best best experience you know and I think if you'd said to me at the end of that look this is it now you can't work anymore in sports broadcasting it's Mm. time to move on I think well I've done it now that's you know really it was just that that brilliant I mean as it happens in the last seven years I've done some other great things and I've enjoyed it all very much but Mm. it was so great Mm. it was a bit it was just a club and I we regularly say you know it's hard when people say what's your best experience it's hard to top it really yeah the home games yeah I want to change tack a little bit now and ask about your own relationship to exercise and sport. I read in an article about you that you it was your husband who motivated you to exercise regularly again after you met him. Did you have like a significant mental block around motivation? Was that something that had happened around your brother? No, I was. I became a runner. I saw mm. it, so my thing was going for a run, entering 10Ks. So I wasn't really doing... I'd go to the gym. I'd go back a bit, actually. In my gap year, I got a call from the British Gymnastics Association who I'd, you know, I'd finished yeah. gymnastics saying, we had a call from a TV producer and he's looking for people to audition for a show called Gladiators. And we thought you'd be really great. So would you go to the audition? Mm. So I went to this audition. I was absolutely pants because I have no, I, you know, I, at the time I wasn't doing any upper body weights or anything. So I could do all the stuff they wanted to do from the waist down. But when I saw Jet kind of doing this move where she was going up and down the rope without using her legs like five times, I was like, okay, this might be for me. <laughs> and then they said, unsurprisingly, well, we don't want even though I'd come up with a name, my mum and I had an evening in the kitchen coming up with my gladiator name. You've got to share um, it now. I think it was something like Crystal Tips or something. It was like, it was terrible. <laughs> and then, and then I, I, got, I got a call saying, 
no thanks but would you be a contestant and so at that point there I realised I wasn't really doing any training I was just running do you know what I mean I, was, yeah. I had good cardio fitness so then I just became that person that did three or four mile runs every almost every day you know mm. I was, but I wasn't getting any quicker mm. and I wasn't getting any I didn't feel any fitter mm. it was just ticking me over almost mm-hmm. and then when I met my husband he was a professional rugby player and obviously mm. trained every day mm. um, I didn't eat particularly well either I, I was one of those people that would not have breakfast and then at 11 o'clock I'd buy some chocolate and I'm not even a, I don't even like chocolate you know <laughs> have it with some coffee and then I'd go to work and maybe have some fruit and then I'd eat probably all my calories from about 8 o'clock in the evening onwards you know mm. what I mean I was I was just really randomly poor eater considering I'd come from the background I'd come from it was almost like I was just rebelling you know I didn't have any food in my fridge really at home anyway he was kind of disgusted in that you know he'd open my fridge going what's what what is this there's like one one bowl of soup and a bottle of champagne yeah (laughs) and um and so I got a trainer and started doing more overall body fitness and kind of you know got into doing other things um and then gradually you know through over the years kind of changed trainers and did different things and Mm. and much more holistic kind of view of I mean of health and fitness but Mm. definitely that was I think I'd had this fear because I was a gymnast and was very lean Mm. as a gymnast that if I did anything that involved weights you know I'm now I'm addicted to Mm. weights and I love I love weights so Mm. much I can't imagine not having weights if I did anything with weights I'd just be this bulky bulky kind of which is nothing wrong with that but obviously I came from that background of you know lean is mean and being a gymnast meant obviously wearing a leotard all Mm. the time so you're very aware of in that you know and you touched on it earlier about Mm. Body image when you know when you're 14, 15 years old and you're wearing a leotard all day, you mm. know, it's it's quite um, exposing. Mm. And so, yeah, absolutely. You know, so your attitude to your body and it wasn't like I had, I didn't have anything like anorexia or anything like that. But I was very much mindful of I have to hit this weight for Saturday. I have to be like this next week, or you know. So there were these targets that I was always having to set myself, yeah. but without any nutritional knowledge. And if mm. I knew now back you, then yeah. yeah I would I would have been so, I would have been just so much better off because I'd have mm. eaten properly mm. and I'd have trained properly instead of training to exhaustion because I hadn't eaten enough and mm. you know so it did take a few years to reset almost yeah I was going to say do you ever feel like you fell into a place where you probably exercised for maybe the wrong reasons you know you were desperately trying yeah. to change your yeah. body yeah I think so I think I thought that you know I'd see all these right super skinny distance runners and think oh if I keep running I know I'll become the super skinny distance mm. runner mm. but I wasn't doing the right food I wasn't doing the right amount of miles I wasn't mm. doing the right amount of training so yeah I don't think I was I was thinking more about the aesthetic than the mm. fitness whereas mm-hmm. now I think it's all about you know the fitness yeah. and and you know my body will be what it will be and I mm. accept my body and mm. not only accept it but be really happy and mm-hmm. not feel that I have to change things all the time you know so and it was the same with all my peers you know no matter what shape any of us were we were never good enough you know there was yeah. there was always something that we could be better you know mm. we could tweak there's so much in that that I can resonate with and I think if only I could grab young girls that are in sport right now and say it doesn't matter what you look like let's focus on the results or let's focus yeah. on the skills that you're building and I think you know we, we spoke about this earlier about the positive benefits of, of exercise and of sport and I think those kind of things are things that should be openly discussed you mm. know talking about body image with young girls and how everyone's bodies are all different but mm. you're actually all achieving the same thing in terms of the skills that you're learning mm. and, and the team environment that you're and, committing and, to and just just being healthy yeah you know that that the, that is the main mm. kind of focus that should be of the main course. focus and obviously you know there are certain sports which are more about the, you know obviously you can't do certain sports if you're a certain shape that's just no. you know and not I'm not saying that I'm not being unrealistic if anybody's listening thinking well I couldn't possibly you know be a gymnast and no I, but I'm talking about more sort of like at a very amateur level yeah absolutely to enjoy it and to feel healthy mm. and to especially you know having a teenage daughter especially her and her friends you know when I that she plays hockey and netball and mm. you know you're seeing them in this environment and just encouraging them to keep going yeah. keep don't give it up just keep doing it and mm. keep enjoying each other's company I was going to just ask you actually as a mum to a teenage girl what are some of the lessons that you're trying to pass on to her to encourage her to have a positive relationship with both her body and with exercise I think the main thing is seeing um, you know I try and well I do cook really healthily at home and mm. trying to make her understand that we don't talk about diets ever. She's never seen me go on a diet. She's never seen me eliminate foods mm. or, do, you know, but talking about food from its health benefits. Mm. So if they've got exams, right, lots of oily fish for breakfast this week because, mm. you know, you know, really good for your brain cells. And my son, for example, who does a lot of rowing as well as rugby, 
eats more protein now. So mm. helping him understand those choices yeah. rather than saying mm. um, you must have this. I think if you are prescriptive with people, mm. whether it's your kids or somebody else, they they just they, well, I don't I don't mm. want to do this. But if you kind of help them understand why those foods are good, you know, yeah. if you've got the knowledge about why you're eating mm. it, I think you're half the half the battle mm. there, aren't you? Absolutely, and I think there is a really fine line because. I think we should care about what we eat for our health. And I think there's definitely um, a lot that can be done to kind of build a small a, a small level of, of knowledge. But I think the, on the flip side, what I think happens is actually you worry about going almost too far the other way and caring a bit too much and becoming a little bit too obsessive. So it's like fine-tuning yeah, that. it's that balance of, you know, and also not, I understand as a, as a parent of teenagers that, Sometimes you have to take your foot off the gas. So there are times when they'll go to somebody's house and they'll be having pizza or mm. they'll be, you know, and I'm not going to be a parent that stands there and goes, oh, well, you know, you've got a competition tomorrow. Do you think that's the best? You know, yeah. you have to let them. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Because one day they're going to go out in the big wide world and they're going to cook for themselves. They're going mm. to be, and they need to make those choices on their own. All I can do is make the family meal. I must admit, I do hate it though. I hear my daughter when she says, I and mean, she's, you know, she's just gorgeous body you know she's young does loads mm. of sports my thighs are just they're not they're not thin are they they're not thin thighs and I said to her well, whose thighs what have you been looking at you know mm. what is it that you're comparing yourself to and she was there was a magazine and I said Lois their thighs probably aren't like that either yeah and even if they are they're mm. exceptionally you know kind of their, their body's exceptionally different mm. to everybody else's and, and not everybody can have the same body and it's really I do remember those conversations or at least thinking those thoughts myself when I was her age mm. so it's not that I, I I understand it's a natural thing but it still saddens me yeah. you know that even with her her beauty and her you know looking so healthy mm. that she still feels oh I'm you know absolutely and I think you grew up in a time when there was no social media <laughs> and as someone who's now heavily involved in encouraging both women and girls to, to partake in sport I wonder whether social media is either having a positive or a negative impact on our desire to be involved in sport because on the one hand I think great you know we can see people like Alex Scott for example mm. who, who's got a great social media presence mm. I look at her and I think wow I can see what she's up to and mm. you know um, not that she's uh, playing so much now but when she was you could see everything that she was mm. doing um, but then on the flip side it does put a big kind of like um, looking glass onto things like mm. body image mm. and worrying that you don't look a certain way. Um, so it's really difficult seeing where it, where it fits in. Yeah, I think there's there are so many positives, but also yeah. there are negatives. Mm. And it's like anything in life, it's a balance, isn't it? And mm. so I think part as a, as a parent, my job is to try and let her realise that as well. And I've noticed she started following people who really propagate absolute real body image you know mm. so she likes people who are real now and she's mm. starting to almost move away from the idea that this perfection mm. that um, that is usually doctored with and isn't somebody's actual yeah. life and yeah. so <laughs> she's starting to realise that herself which is good because I think the danger for, for girls who don't or and boys who don't have that conversation, who don't realise that that's not reality, mm. that they'll just constantly feel disappointed, mm. constantly be comparing. Clearly you still have some way to go in terms of creating equality within sport. In your opinion, what are some of the key areas that you think need the most change? I think we're moving really fast. Yeah. This last year has been incredible, especially with the sponsorship from Barclays for women's football, the biggest yeah. deal they've ever done. And mm. I think the reason why, you know, that sounds like I'm going straight in with the money. The reason why that's really important is because obviously the, the, the sponsorship and marketing shows an appetite to be mm. for big brands to be associated with those sports because of their increased popularity and mm -hmm. growth. And so the more of those deals that come by, mm. the easier it is for women to pursue a sporting career because there are going to be more professional women in those sports. Mm. And and so those changes are happening and they will, I think, also sponsors and brands are, are cleverly going, hang on a minute, where's the biggest growth factor? Where's the biggest increase going to become? It's going to come in women's sport. It's not going to come in men's sport because, you know, they're almost at saturation yeah, point, yeah. The, big, the big male sport. Mm. So women's sport is a huge growth area for mm. a lot of brands. And, they've, mm. and they're also, um, you know, women tend to be the decision makers in the house about where the pound goes you know so you know if your policy isn't to support women's sport well I don't think I'm going to support your brand there's that relationship I think that's very very important and mm -hmm. that is ongoing and will only get better mm -hmm. making those sports accessible for, for young people yeah. clubs mm -hmm. you know I mean I know 
2012 had a massive impact. You mm-hmm. know, gymnastics clubs have got waiting lists um, mm-hmm. because we did so well in gymnastics mm-hmm. and it's such a great sport for kids to do. Yeah. Swimming, we're always very strong on, you know, and the, but these sports are, are relatively low cost as well. And you've got to keep them low cost and make sure that they're accessible for people mm-hmm. who don't have... Sort of injecting money into grassroots Yeah, stuff. yeah, and subsidising clubs in the summer. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'd, if I was king for a day, you know, I or queen, <laughs> I would, in the summer holidays there would be sports camps everywhere for yeah. kids. you know I'm, I'm really lucky I can put my kids into camps when they were little mm-hmm. to do sport all summer yeah. because I could have afford for them to go mm-hmm. but I realised that's a luxury you course, know and they cost yeah. a lot of money and, yeah. and they get so much out of it let alone the fact that you're able to kind of get on with your work because mm. you've got six or seven weeks of holiday yeah. they're getting activity they're getting sport they're getting a range of skills they're meeting people mm. they're, it's not for every kid but for a lot of kids it would be the answer to a lot of issues we've got going on where kids have got nothing to do absolutely summer, you know absolutely my final few questions for you um i wanted to know actually this is just a personal question but who inspires you now in sport um, I get like different people all the time, to be honest. Yeah. You know, I, at the moment, uh, I was so pleased with how Katarina Johnson Thompson did it. Got sis at the weekend. She won and got a new PB, mm. and she's got a world championships later in this year. And I, you know, I, I was out for a run this morning, and I was thinking about her, and I was, I, th- I found myself kind of thinking about her year, and I thought, yeah. oh, I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> this summer, obviously, we've got. I'm about to embark on the, the lioness's journey in France, mm. and that whole team will be inspirational yeah. figures if they can go all the way in, in that in that championship you know there's so many great inspiring women doing brilliant things in, in whether it's cinema or whether it's writers mm-hmm. you know I love you know there's some brilliant female writers on mm-hmm. television now that you know I'm a big fan of Derry Girls on Channel 4 yes. and Lisa McKee I think it is who wrote that and I, I was thinking about her the other day thinking imagine having that kind of being able to sit down and write something mm-hmm. like that and your brain kind of Phoebe like, Waller-Bridge is another well, of my Phoebe, favourites Phoebe yeah yeah that <laughs> goes without saying that how yeah. inspirational she is in terms of performing it and delivering it and I think across a range of areas now you know we have such strong women whether it's writers performers yeah. in business mm. um, you know people like yourself in in, in the sports and leisure industry who are you know who are out there <laughs> and shining beacons of you know of what you can do I Thank think you. it's great and that's where going back to what you said before social media is very powerful yeah you know, in shining a spotlight yeah and giving people a voice absolutely my final few questions I ask these every episode so my first one is what does strength look like to you um strength (laughs) looks like you know strength and health for me are so synonymous Mm. because i i feel like strength is glowing and strength is is obviously powerful but it's powerful through um not just about the ability to you know to bench press 60 kilos Mm. or to you know to be doing 20 chins strength is about your and enduring and kind of your ability to be resilient and to come back and Mm. to find deep reserves in yourself that you didn't know you had and to you know to just overcome those doubts so strength is is all of those things yeah and who in your life demonstrates strength the most oh uh, (laughs) last one (laughs) um i get really inspired by my kids i have to say you know Mm. and and I, I love young people. You know, I think I, I find really, I find a lot of kind of hope and promise in in their angle and their take on life and what they're doing and mm-hmm. how they see the world. And I, you know, and I think it keeps. I think when you're a certain age and you kind of look back at your younger self and then mm-hmm. you're with people of that age, I think it's really and a really interesting kind of. Um, journey that you go on you know Mm. because you're trying to dig back into that time to give advice but actually you're often getting great advice back Mm. you know and Mm. and so i i see i see strength in the future of our planet Mm. from from their generation i think Mm. amazing gabby you've been absolutely brilliant thank you so much thank you so much and i wish you good luck on your on your trip to france i'm going to be there watching the england scotland game yeah i'm very much looking forward to it um but yeah thank you so so much it's been a joy having you thank you We all know how much powerful quotes can inspire us. So I've selected some of my favorite quotes from women who've inspired me to be your daily mantra through to the next episode. Today's quote is from Russian tennis player Maria Sharapova. She said, I'm not the next anyone. I'm the first Maria Sharapova. Thank you so much for tuning in to Give Me Strength. Please do join us next week for more incredible guests. In the meantime, I would love it if you could take a moment to rate and review this podcast. 
And don't forget to subscribe if you want to be the first to listen to our brand new episode every Wednesday. Wednesday.